Andrew Hutchinson, um, mortgage broker with Mortgage Architect. So yeah, thanks again for coming here. Uh, why don't we kind of start off with, uh, you know, kind of what led you to kind of becoming a mortgage broker? Like I know we used to be, you know, hard to believe old roommates on McLean <laughs> Street, you know, partying. And, a few days ago. Yeah, a couple days ago <laughs> now. And, uh, you know, next thing we're both in the real estate business. You know, you're on the lending side, I'm on the, the real estate buying and selling, and we're both kind of, you know, you're a little ahead of me on the investing piece, and, uh, you know, I just kind of invested in that Airbnb here. So, yeah, why don't you kind of tell us a little bit about uh, your aspirations into coming to uh, to mortgages? Yeah, yeah, for sure, and uh, thanks for having me. It feels like it wasn't a couple of days ago, but... God, that must have been uh, 10 plus years now. Yeah, I think about those days all the time, man. Yeah, yeah Less worries. <laughs> <laughs> I think with how much that property's worth now. Right, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. I forget Buddy's name there. Uh, he was a good guy. Yeah, they're pretty yeah, good guy. I wonder if he still owns that. I think they only had like two or three properties. So. Yeah. yeah, that's doubled in value for sure. Absolutely. If not more. Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, Obviously, we knew each other back in college. Or I went, to, I was going to Dow. You were going to SMU. Yeah. Um, graduated there. Um, I had a few jobs before I landed on mortgages. I worked for a hedge fund administrative company called Sitco out of Halifax. Which oh nice. Um, like Des works. Yeah, there. I was gonna say yeah. you must know Des. Yeah. yeah. Um, worked there. Um, it wasn't. I, I learned a lot. Um, it wasn't for me. I ended up moving on. I did some work on the investment in the insurance industry. Um, and one big thing I saw, especially on the investing side, when I was trying to bring in people um, and help them grow their portfolio, one thing that they all had in common, uh, anyone that had large amounts of wealth, was that they owned real estate. And so, um, kind of got a sniff into um, real estate investing, really drew my eye to it. Um, always kind of really enjoyed buying and selling real estate, so not so much, so much myself, but just the act of it. Um, and basically, uh, what drew me to it was more the finance side of it, the numbers side of it. And I had an opportunity to jump on with Mortgage Architects, which you mentioned. Um, and really jumped on to uh, into the mortgage broken world to run my own business, Hutchinson Mortgages, through Mortgage Architects, just like Chris Kroll that goes through Remax. Absolutely. Um, and haven't looked back. Um, and have been uh, it'll be three years here uh, as a mortgage broker uh, this spring. So. Yeah, man. Well, it's great to hear you say that. I mean, um, and great, great kind of uh, description leading up to how you got there. Uh, I kind of had the same kind of epiphany, so to speak. Um, you know, I did nine years in consumer packaged goods with Unilever Canada, you know, managing salespeople, had a team of nine sales reps, you know, uh, six regional accounts, three distributors. Um, and yeah, I kind of, you know, kind of got caught in that corporate kind of world and, you know, maybe not so much golden handcuff, but, you know, really got comfortable in that kind of, consumer packaged goods world and and one thing when i started looking around at other opportunities and other people and especially people that i've you know found seem to be really well off you know when you really kind of dig in you know the common denominator there is is definitely real estate so um you know that's kind of what kind of pushed me into it as well um, and early on like having um an interest right out the gate i mean i remember moving into not the place we met each other on McLean Street, but I lived on the cross on the other road, on the other side of the road. Okay, yeah. Um, and this fellow by the name of Mark Holden, I don't know whatever happened to him, but I remember it was my second year university, and 
we roll in to move in and he's there to give us the keys and he's like sitting there and it's like fancy jag car <laughs> jaguar car and i'm like having the realization like oh people can like make money doing this because i asked him i was like hey what do you do he's like i'm gonna just own property and i was like that's it he's like yeah yeah yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe he was a bit of an outlier. Like, I know he told us, like, he played a few games in the NHL. And I don't know his full background, but, like, he might have had, like, a, a good start. But he definitely yeah. seemed like he made some good choices, too. Because you always see him around. Didn't seem like he had a care in the world. <laughs> just living his life. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I definitely early on had an interest. But you know what it is trying to start your own business from nothing. Uh, it's pretty daunting, especially at, like, 20 years old. Like, Remember what we had in mind, like living on McLean Street was like yeah. paying our rent and partying. Like, yeah. That was about it. Yeah, yeah. So when somebody was like, yeah, it's all commission, you got to grind, you, you know, just like at 20 years old, like, you know, maybe some people have that mindset. Mindset. I mean, Some people are, but yeah, we, I don't know if we were. Definitely not. <laughs> and I mean, I had a roommate at the time. I don't know if you remember him. He was the dark haired guy, Sean Gordon. I just remember your brother. Right? I can't remember. There's two the, other yeah. guys, too. Was there? Okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I just remember Mike. But anyway, her, his girlfriend's father at the time uh, ran a brokerage. What's his name? Francis McDonald. A real estate brokerage? Yeah, I think he... Okay. Is it XP or Press? I can't remember, but anyway, I had an, I had just graduated university. Yeah. And uh, I was like, hey, can I you know, have a chat with your father? Like, I, might, like, I was looking for jobs, too. I was like, I'm right. kind of interested in this real estate business. Like, you know, what, I kind of want to know more about it. And he kind of scared me totally away from it he's like ah, it's all commission you gotta grind this and that and it's just like just like wasn't my cup of tea i guess at uh, 20 years yeah. old so i kind of just fully pivoted the other way and just went right into kind of the sales kind of corporate kind of life and you almost need to to realize the one thing when i graduated university graduated university the one thing that really pulled me towards um working for yourself was that i hated the idea that this is how much you made yeah I hate limits. You you can do really well. You can make the company a lot of money, and you might make this much more. Right, your bonus impact. And it just in that that just never sat with me. And, and one thing that I always that I really wanted to do too, and seriously considered was it was police force RCMP. Yeah, I did the same thing. And funny I said, enough. oh, I just you know, I hate the thought of you know this is what you make, and and you can you know get a little bonus or, or you can increase every year. And in my head, I said, well. The picture of what I want for my life and you know the freedoms that I eventually want you know that won't be able to yeah your three four there. weeks of vacation a year is yeah. freedom right? although the job would be rewarding as well and, and so that was just that, that was probably one thing that, that pushed me to end up going to business for self but when you're when you're young and you're in your early 20s it's a it, it's a it's a tough thing for people to take you serious too so yeah, absolutely. I know, like, there's a young guy. I mean, I'm a young guy. He's our age now. <laughs> when we were younger. He was a young, yeah, yeah was when young. we were younger. Um, buddy, I went to high school with. Great guy. Uh, sales manager of a Toyota dealership now. Does great. Lives back home where I grew up. He went into real estate. Um, and I remember talking. I never talked directly with him, uh, but I talked to one of our mutual friends and you know he had just mentioned how tough it he had had it and that kind of was kind of asking me like you think the, he never come out and said it but i kind of took it in the direction of like do you think you're making the right choice because uh -huh. he was like you know he's tried it for like a year and he never sold a damn thing and yeah. it's like yeah well i was <laughs> like i'm not him and, and i never yeah, ever yeah. did talk to him because it was suggested to me that maybe it'd be a good idea to kind of like 
you know, kind of like best practices, kind of like figure yeah. out maybe where he went wrong. But I was more interested, and no offense to uh, if they figure out what I'm talking about, but, <laughs> but like I was more interested in talking to winners than losers. Yeah. So I just never ever kind of beat that door down. I just wanted to know what worked yeah. and where to invest my time. Not. And yeah, you can, and you can learn from both. You can. But I had the mindset at the time that I wanted to know what worked. Didn't want to recreate the reel. Just show me what works. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, and all kind of fiddle around, fumble, fall, and figure it out. But, yeah, yeah, so um, leading into the next kind of topic that's kind of been creating some uproar here is uh, the Airbnb registration. And Uh I know you've been in it for a while. and Maybe you can talk a little bit about that. And I've just entered it, so naturally I seen this registration piece, and I'm like, "Hey, Andrew, like, what's uh, what do you make of this stuff?" Yeah. So you've had a property down. I've had a property, and and, and you, well, I guess full disclosure, I, I don't Airbnb it. Uh, oh, sorry. I do long term rent it, but I am quite familiar with the new uh, regulations and the bylaws that they are trying to put forth. Just because I have clients that are re- like do have short term rentals, so Airbnbs, VRBO, um, and current clients that are looking to purchase based off of um, turning using them as. Uh, short-term rentals so uh, yeah that's making a lot of uh, a lot of noise right now um, the registration part that you mentioned was uh, was proposed a little while back where if you're gonna own a short-term rental here in HRM uh, you have to register with the province um, and so that part came into play that, that part I actually don't uh, I don't disagree with the uh with the government too much uh if they want to kind of regulate or, or you know just know who's operating them yeah get, just keep get, it yeah make sure that you know you're claiming income or that they just want to know the numbers of how many short-term rentals they have like how are we contributing to our tourism in this uh regard there's a lot of data they could get from that um but the latest news that came out was that they will change the bylaws in the hrm so that you can no longer operate an Airbnb unless it's your primary residence, which that will be a big change. Yeah, and like that's kind of a touch point for me. Um, some people might laugh, but like I'm not a big fan, and I guess it kind of comes back to you know working in that corporate world. Like, don't get me wrong, like I take direction and all you know and guidance and and from you know leadership and all that, but like when it comes to like government overreach. Do you find that they might be like overextending themselves on like what the public can do with their personal assets? Like taking consideration the Airbnb registration, changing bylaws to force our hands into, you know, what, you know, some people might have been using as like a stepping stone to start potentially investing in real estate. Now they're like, well, you can't, hmm. especially if it's not your primary residence. Like people like me that are currently living in the dwelling that they're going to be short-term renting well they're like okay that's fine but if you're if you've bought a property and say they're your client and they're like hey andrew like you know this is what we got here's the financials what can we get and you map this whole financial plan out for them to buy this property and it's all based on short-term rental returns on their investment and then all of a sudden government saying no 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 you have to long-term rent it which is Let's be real. In some instances, if you're further away from downtown, significantly less return. 
and then you know the five percent you know um um transfer tax for out of province yeah you know then we're putting foreign buyer bans on for two years i mean how do you how do you feel about the kind of that uh i'm not a big fan of them telling us what to do like i'm a big proponent of like my assets mine and i should be able to do with what i want yeah but uh obviously you know government's been around for years and you know we gotta abide by rules and regulations but i just found like all of a sudden, since the pandemic, kind of seeing like a lot more rules popping up. Yeah, I feel you know it's it's a I guess it's a touchy subject. One because I think in the public eye, property owners, landlords, if that's what you want to classify them as, kind of have uh, a negative connotation with them. And like you mentioned, the vast majority of property owners are people that are just trying to supplement retirement. They have right. one property, maybe two. They're trying to you know, build wealth long-term. Um, it's not a get-rich-quick scheme. Um, but there are a few bad apples in every industry. And Absolutely. there are a few bad apples in, in the that are landlords that kind of you know do paint a bad picture uh, for it. And on the Airbnb side, I do feel like there should be regulations because back in uh, when COVID was going on, there's people renting out rooms with like in their house with a curtain across it. And it's like, okay, well, we have to have some sort of line right. in the sand of Can't what just is Mickey acceptable. Mouse everything together. Yeah. But at the same time, it is tough where if I'm buying a property and say I'm just a, an average, you know, a salary worker and I've been saving up enough to buy a second property and I run the numbers of that property based on a short-term rental and say I bought it 12 months ago and now if this comes into effect, if I switch over to a long-term strategy, my rents are much, my income, my operating income on that property is going to be much lower and I no longer can service that debt. Well, I am being forced to either take a loss or sell my property. Right. At and if I bought it at a hot, you know, at the height of the market, I could, you know, be owed quite a bit of money. Right. Uh, due to that, uh, what I think is the issue here—not the issue, sorry. What I think would be a better play, or something that I would like to see the government do, is instead of saying we're going to change the regulations so you can no longer operate this way, well, can you instead incentivize a long-term rental and say, okay? Um, all you short-term rentals, if you convert these to long-term rentals, because this is what they're trying to do, right? They're trying to say that we don't really mind that there's Airbnbs. We mind the fact that there's, you know, tents in every park and there's people, there's a housing yeah. issue. So we need to get long-term problem. rents. And if, you know, a large majority of our homes are short-term rentals, well, those could be long-term rentals. Let's force these short-term rental owners to make them long-term renters. So instead of saying we're going to force you to do that, can you incentivize a long-term rental? Can you give people mm-hmm. tax breaks for having a long-term rental? Or can you come up with some creative way to benefit me changing my short-term rental to a long-term rental? I think that would be a, a better strategy because, um, like you said, uh, it really could force a lot of people, you know, into taking a big loss out of something they're trying to do to benefit themselves 20, 30 years down the road, not at the current moment. Yeah, absolutely. And like, in my opinion, like that's kind of exacerbating the problem. If you're, you know, you're almost punishing people even to a further degree um, when they thought they were doing something in their best interest. And now all of a sudden the government's saying, well, it's not in our best interest or the greater population's interest. So uh, the only other thing that I pivot back to is like, you know, when we look at, you know, these government policies and strategies, I often wonder how 
deep of an analysis they do because I was just at like a Chamber of Commerce lunch in a few weeks ago and they had a panel of members talking about like housing affordability. Um, and there was one guy in particular, I forget his last name, but Alex something. I, I want to bring him on to the show to kind of get the gist of what he was saying, but I didn't wholeheartedly agree with him because he kind of denied the kind of general basis of like macro and microeconomics. Like he kind of said he knew better than that, which, you know, general supply and demand typically, you know, with low supply, high demand definitely drives upward pressure on pricing and the vice versa uh, typically applies if there's surplus of demand, downward pressure on pricing. Um, like, do you think that this uh, this rule, like we, we mentioned the, the tents in the parks, do you think because you're not allowed to short-term Airbnb your property that that's going to be a solution? Or just because like those people are probably so far out yeah. of the spectrum where it's just like, I don't see that additional supply fixing the tent problem. I yes. think that's like a total separate problem that revolves around the actual affordability in Halifax and or I mean even Nova Scotia to a degree so yeah that's kind of where I sit it's like you know how heavily are they looking <laughs> into these solutions yeah and are they looking at it in every at every angle possible it's a great point because um, the question is okay if we sh if we convert these to long-term rents one Okay, I'll convert mine to a long-term rent rental, but I'll be at top dollar because I need to try and get as close to short-term rentals as possible. Right? Um, are these people? And I will say this too. I I, I I use the tents as an example. There are still people out there that um, have good jobs that are you know teachers, nurses, and uh, that. That uh, that need to rent and that live with family members, right. or and they there's have just a, nothing for there's them. just nothing for them. But the the issue that you're talking about is the issue that is getting that the government's hearing. That's what's that, that's what the complaint is in the in the communities um, is that there's no place to live and and um, the the affordability of living in general. I mean, the the food bank is up in. Um, in, it, in its uh, in its capacity, and so that is a really uh, it, it goes so much deeper um, than 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 trying to extend you know more opportunities for long term rentals. The other thing that I don't think, which I know actually I know they didn't. The reason that this whole thing got postponed, this got postponed to the spring, this this uh, bylaw change, and that's because. Um, the tourism industry wasn't really consulted yet and if you think back to this past summer there was really very very low vacancy in hotels here in the city and airbnbs accounted for 20 percent of night stays in august for example and that is a big big chunk of tourism for our city so the question is um so, so not the question another thing here is that they didn't consult with tourism industry so this could be something that never actually comes to play the other thing is hrm is really big goes quite far down to the so shore so um down when you start going out so shore, there's not a lot of hotels down there but it right. is very big on tourism so, yeah like hubbard's down St. Yeah. bay is this a halifax peninsula issue or right. is it an all of an hrm issue Greater i'm not HRM. sure um so it could be something where you come back and maybe the zoning the actual area changes um, I don't like I said. I don't mind the strategy, but let's say okay, you're going to do a long-term rental. Well, we're going to incentivize instead of making you. You can amortize your mortgage for 
35, right. 40 years. Let's bring down your obligation to pay your mortgage in order for you to allow a bigger, a better cash flow uh, property so you can allow rents to be lower in your property and say, okay, well, if you're going to do, if we'll give you a, say we'll give you a 35 or 40 year amortization on your mortgage, as long as you make your rents a little more affordable um, and, and put a guideline on what affordability means, um, then that is kind of maybe a better strategy. Um, I don't know, but just trying to, just an idea, I guess. Yeah, and that kind of leads me to a question. I was actually listening, and I don't know if you listen to their podcast or not, Chandler and Neil. Yeah, they're great. The Master Keys. Yeah, I listen to it all the time. Um, I mean, they're from our brokerage as well at Remax, so shout out to uh, Chandler and Neil. Yeah, yeah, thank you guys. Yeah, yeah, thanks for all the tips and tricks, all the investing. We'll be up there with you soon. <laughs> um but what I kind of took from one of their podcasts, they said that, um, or I think it was Neil that mentioned in Toronto, they actually have some more creative kind of products and tools out there for people that are buying and selling, um, often at like a much better rate and a better amortization. Um, and they kind of said like, you know, we they make more per deal here, but they obviously volume wise, they don't make as many deals. So... I mean, that might be the offset, most likely, of what they're offering, but apparently, like, their their rates and everything and what they offer in terms of products uh, in the lending sphere in kind of Toronto, Ontario, they're much more kind of aggressive and see, seemingly work better for what, like, you know, people like me and you are trying to do. Do you have any kind of insights? Yeah, on there, is, of them? there is more um, options. When, when you get outside of Atlanta, Canada. Um, there's more lenders. There's more products. Is that purely population-based? Um, yeah. There, I guess the reason... I mean, each each lender would have its own reason, but um, in order... If you think of like R&D of creating a, a product and seeing if it works, it kind of starts there, and then it's like, okay, well, it, it's, it'll then go kind of out west, and then sometimes it doesn't really make it out east. Um, our population is obviously not nearly as as, as large, um, so that is yeah. There's definitely um, there's definitely more products and more lenders um, it, when you go to Ontario. So the landscape of the competition there is just so much more aggressive that they just have to be a little bit more creative on what they're going to get. Yeah, I think I think they're a bit, they're more in the forefront right. of like what's happening and yeah, um, we're more they, they react faster and then, you know, a year, a few years later that product kind of trickles down to the East Coast. Yeah, well, to that point, I mean, I can definitely attest and I mentioned it in my reels. Um, we were at the Burt Kreischer comedy show, the Birdie, Do- Birdie Boy right. Burt tour. Show to Burt. Right, right, that's it. <laughs> And uh, anyway, my wife had kind of mentioned to me that the host had reached out to her before we went. And I was just like, honestly, I just wasn't really paying attention. I thought, you know, it was just standard checking in like before we got there. But uh, anyway, what happened was like, apparently the registration's already happening in Toronto. And we did get our, our um, stay canceled via Airbnb. But, you know, the host called us and was like, hey, super sorry. But, uh, you know, Airbnb canceled, but you don't got to go anywhere. Obviously, you're here. Um, they're going to refund you. And then she was just like, you know, send me some money. And, it, you know, we kind of saved a couple of bucks because we didn't pay the fee. She waived the cleaning fee. Um, so it's definitely starting there. And they kind of did it without warning. They're like, you're at your 28-day max. And they delisted her Airbnb. So it was... Interesting. Uh, yeah, they kind of definitely reached over in Toronto and are definitely, uh, like you say, a bit more 
reactive and changing a bit yeah, quicker. Yeah, I'm not as familiar with what's happening in Toronto with Airbnbs, yeah. but well, that's I think you might still be seeing a lot more of those, like like we mentioned prior, those foreign buyers coming in, buying up all the condos they're putting up, and then they're not living in them, and they're charging premium rent prices. Parking money, yeah. Parking money, and, you know, it might be a more exacerbated kind of issue there with um, rental availability. Yeah, I'm also, I'd also be curious to know what their vacancy is in Toronto because that's the real driver here, right? It's yeah. just the fact that you put a listing up and it's gone in days with 50 people applying for it. Right. So I'd be interested to know um, the Toronto vacancy numbers, if that's also a driver. Yeah, could be. Because I know they have, like in some other markets, like out west and stuff, they have like vacancy taxes. Mm-hmm. Like if your property six vacant for X amount of days out of the year, like they will yeah. tax you. They'll fine you essentially and be like, no, you got to get people in there. And I mean... <laughs> Do I agree with the font? You know, I don't also agree with it sitting empty. But um, you know, if I'm investing and actively out there, like I'd like to have my place. Yeah, that's, it goes back to my thing where like the government is here to serve the people and make sure that um, you know that people are safe. There's opportunities for people to live, shelter, food, um, and so I I do agree with the right to be able to better. Um, you know the communities that they serve the government but my thing is is how can you incentivize someone to do something versus right. force them just to do take something? it away yeah because i mean ultimately like you say there's going to be you know some people are going to be resentful of that kind of forced action some people are just going to be put in a tough spot to start with if they really kind of lean into it like you said like maybe got some clients that made some decisions based off short-term rentals now you know they're not cash flowing positive. Maybe they didn't put n- enough down, and now they got to sell. Maybe they paid 20, 30 percent over. Guess what? We're not getting 30, 20, 30 percent over right now. You know, hot properties maybe five, ten percent at best is what I've seen. Maybe twenty on the odd one. Yeah. Uh, low competition uh, versus like slugging away with like twenty, thirty other buyers. Seventeen offers are over a hundred k. Um, so yeah, you could really be in some hot water right now, depending on you know your strategy at the time, what you bought, your mortgage rate, if you're a fixed variable, you know a yeah. lot of stuff coming into play there. Next thing I kind of wanted to get into was the foreign buyer ban that they just announced. Um, you know, looks like for the next couple of years we're going to have no foreign uh, investment possible uh, from anywhere outside of Canada. Uh, the NSAR, so the Nova Scotia Realtors Association, as well as the Canadian Real Estate Association, they seem pretty disappointed with the decision. They say, uh, from what I've read, they think that it's going to hinder um, hinder our market some in the short term, uh, you know, inside of those two years. Uh, why? I, I haven't dug right into that. That might be kind of a separate separate episode or reel coming soon. But uh, have you kind of dug into it any, any at any rate or uh, how do you feel this is going to play out for uh, you know our real estate market um, is this going to affect the general public or do you find that it's just going to be those big players that are kind of come in park some money in some property and just kind of you know let it ride well i think that's who they're targeting and i think this play is more of a um it, it is more targeted to bigger cities um, where you find a lot of foreign buyers, like you mentioned, where you know parking money in an asset, like a like a piece of like a property, 
um, and letting it sit, appreciate, and then selling down the road um, is a good investment. And there is um, a number of investors who have no intention of moving here and living in it and are strictly buying it for that purpose. Um, I don't know the numbers here in Halifax. I can't imagine they'd be that high, but I don't know. Um, I would be interested to see what those numbers are, though. But I do think that, of course, this will affect the, you know, the real estate industry. These are people. These are buyers. These are possible buyers that are now taken off the table. So anytime that happens, it's going to affect demand. Absolutely. Um, and these are people who buy uh, most of the times, you know, valuable assets, yeah. uh, value properties. So so yeah, I think it, I think that 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 point is true. Um, do I think it's necessarily a bad thing? I don't know, to be honest. Um, the, from my point of view, when I look, those kind of buyers usually don't come to a mortgage broker like myself so much. That because a lot of times those are maybe purchasing cash, yeah, um, private, the private. Uh, whereas myself, where where I see and I get a lot of these questions are people who are here as a temporary resident or you know maybe they don't have their Canadian citizenship, Canadian citizenship yet or their PR so um, or the here on a work visa so these people won't be affected by this program so if, if you are here say on a work visa or you're you have your PR or working towards being a permanent resident um, you know Canada's very um, you know they're very bull, bullish on immigration um, and bringing Definitely. new people into the country. Uh, so they uh, are making sure that it's not going to affect those people, um, and, and they'll still have an opportunity to buy. So, on the from a mortgage perspective, and in my perspective, um, I don't think it'll be. I don't think I'll run into too many issues with this um, with current clients. Um, but in terms of demand in the market, it'll, for the next two years, so this is a two-year program, it'll be paused for two years. Um, it'll lower demand in the short term of two years, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we might have some more opportunities, you know, especially we're talking people with probably some pretty high net worth, so looking at multi-units, you know, some higher, higher level income um, dwellings. Um, yeah, interesting. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out, and uh, you know, I'm sure we'll have some more to come here in the next little bit as they kind of roll that out. But yeah, like I said before, like you know, great rollout by the government. I mean, you know, <laughs> really could do a bit better. Kind of keep that one stuck up pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, that one stuck yeah. up pretty quick. Well, that's what I was saying. Like in terms of like overreach and like you know, are they putting thought into these programs and so on? Like you know, if they're just shoving them out there i mean how much analysis is really being done in the background and yeah well and i mentioned to you there was the cmhc had a really good link on it and i went to it yesterday um knowing that the new year was uh, coming up and and it was a uh, page not found and i was like oh no like where's this info guy this is All like right. uh, you know we're a week away and i went to like freshen up on it and uh and like you said and so then i just googled i was trying kind of try to google more stuff and the you there wasn't a lot about it, to be honest. Right, um, makes the, you wonder. The how one much resource there is that I was it. kind of uh, reading, you know, a couple months ago, um, was no longer available. So, yeah, it's um, that that point to you uh, of yours is uh, completely valid. Yeah. So leading into kind of my next thing, uh, you know, we kind of brushed on kind of your business and how that might affect uh, you, uh, which is seemingly maybe not that much. Um, you know, one thing, you know, kind of pivoting topics here that, uh, you know, I get asked a lot is like, 
What's the difference between, say, a mortgage specialist at RBC or Bank of Montreal or, you know, pick an institution? Like, what sets you apart from a mortgage specialist versus you're a mortgage broker? Yeah, I mean, the biggest one is, is it would be that when you go to a specialist, when you go to your bank, um, they work for the bank. Uh, their interests lie with the bank, whereas as a broker like myself or any any mortgage brokers out there, I, they work for the client. They don't work for the bank. Um, so that's the biggest difference. The client is the actual client. The client isn't the bank. So um, that would be the largest difference. The next one would obviously be the opportunities that we have. So when you work with a mortgage broker, it opens the door to many different lending opportunities and products and um, a lot of times that in itself, when you work with that many different lenders, that many different products, you get a better understanding of mortgages maybe and, and the different nuances of each lender. Um, so if I'm a mortgage specialist at RBC, I know RBC's products really well. Absolutely. And I don't know so much uh, maybe TDs or Scotias or anyone else's. And a mortgage broker would have access to so many banks. They would probably also understand, they should understand, um, you know, all a lot more of the fine print with each one. And depending on your situation, a mortgage broker may lead you to a certain institution depending on maybe you're new to Canada. Maybe you want to buy a rental property. Maybe you're a first-time home buyer. You know, depending on what it is, um, every institution can service them, but there might be some that kind of fit better for you as well. Yeah, absolutely. And like, kind of one of the objections I often get, you know, because I'm, you know, obviously I want to refer business to my people, and obviously people have people that they already have in their spheres that they like to go to. But like, I found like a lot of people really didn't understand. Like, when I'd be like, "Hey, do you guys have a mortgage person, or lender? Have you got pre-approved?" And they're like. Yeah. You know, let's just say it's no. It's like, all right, well, do you guys bank with a specific bank? Do you want to go with a financial institution or do you want to go with one of my kind of trusted mortgage brokers? And they kind of have really no idea what the difference is. And they're usually like, now we'll just go to the bank. Yeah. I think that broker word as well, especially like yeah. back in the crash and investment broker, I think that sometimes still kind of lingers as a bad connotation with that word maybe. Um but yeah, there's, I mean, people bank with, say, RBC or Scotia or whoever you're with, you bank with them all your life, there's a trust there, right? Right. So you know that, um, you know, that institution's been around forever, you've walked in it how many right. times, right? You can right? touch the stuff You in can it. touch yeah, it, you can see offices. it. So that part is completely valid, um, you know, that you like that bank or you like, uh, you like that institution in general. And maybe some people do have really good connections with their, you know, their financial advisor or their broker or whoever it is. And in that case, you got to do what's comfortable for you, right? So, and same with mortgage brokers. If you reach out to, you can reach out to a few, right? You don't have to just reach out to one person and make a decision. Contact a few brokers, excuse me, um, and, and see what they like. Because if you don't, uh, not everyone's going to click with everyone, right? But you will get a... I should say in most circumstances, you should get an elevated service with a broker where I mentioned they work for you versus the bank um, and provide more services um, in that regard. Now, would you say you keep like in touch with your clients more often than like say the bank? Because I know like I've been here for like nine or 10 years and I'm in real estate. And you know how many times I've heard from my mortgage broker, yeah, actually yeah. specialist? Client uh, client for life, for the life of your mortgage. Yeah, right. you'll, hear, you'll hear from me. 
But like, I haven't heard from my guy. Yeah, I haven't even got so much as a phone call or a referral. <laughs> and he's got my money. I have no comment. <laughs> <laughs> so, refi's coming. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing too. Uh, you know, it's um, I. But when you're when you work for yourself, um, and, and and you know this, how you differentiate yourself from other realtors mm. is. You know your personality, your your twist on how you do things, and it's gonna. Some people are gonna really like that, and some people aren't, and that's fine. It's the same with the mortgage broker. Um, if you're gonna go buy a house, do you just do this, the first realtor, or do you go meet with a couple and right. see who see who you like? And, and that's the same. It's not. Um, it, it is one of those things where. Um, you know, there's so many uh, people out there and so many realtors out there. It everyone can find someone that they fit well with. It's not a one size fits all. It's, Absolutely. You know, uh, you know, I, I can't service everyone in the city, and and you got to find who uh, who you like to work with. And yeah, and, you, and yeah. that's the big thing. And you can't work with everyone. That's right. I mean, you know, I'm sure you've had some hard lessons up front. And, you know, early on in my career too. You know, some people just you know. You're not going to gel with, mm-hmm. even though maybe you think so. Up, you know, first couple meetings. I mean, you know, sometimes things fall apart. I mean, yeah, it's just how life goes. But uh, how it goes, yeah, yeah, how she goes. Yeah. So everyone's everyone's different. So like myself, every client gets a personalized budget, a personalized proposal. I don't like to use the word budget. It's kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. Curse word proposal. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so everyone kind of you know they know what they're getting into. If and down the road they want to refinance, figure it out. Like and there's a. It's um, it's something that maybe not every institution would do. Um, also, making sure you understand the difference between variable and fixed. Uh, a lot of people understand don't. the difference. Yeah, what you're getting yourself into, like right now, especially um, with high interest rates. What's your strategy? I mean, are you in the most long term, short term? You know, what's your risk tolerance? Um, understanding your options is the big thing. Here, here are your yeah. options and. Here's how each things work. Um, you make the best decision based on what's best for you, but here's all the information. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think that's the kicker is, uh, you know, you really kind of got to go in this with some proper thought. And I find like, you know, don't be like the government. Don't be reactive. Be a little <laughs> proactive. Do some research. You know, if you're single or you had a partner or a spouse or wife, whatever you got, yeah. You know, make sure you're on the same page. You know, if you were one of those people slugging away 20, 30% over ask and you're buying an investment property, well, guess what? You got to be looking out long term because you're, you know, in the short term, look what happened. You know, interest rates went up, buyers pulled back, even sellers, I can attest. Like, I had to delist a property who just didn't. I mean, mind you, I told them they weren't going to get what they wanted, but they wanted to test the market anyway. And then mm-hmm. you know how people get, they get kind of butthurt that you were right and they were wrong. And next thing, they're out of the market altogether. Um, but, you know, we got short memories. You know, do you rather slug it out? And get top dollar for your property as a seller and or, you know, get the property you want as a buyer, paying 20, 30% over asking. Or today, you know, cost of borrowing is a little high. Sure. Competition's down. You can get something real nice. Probably anywhere, you know, at list right now. I mean, we don't have a ton of inventory, but yeah, people kind of just got to, you know, take stock of their decisions and and kind of you know be more methodical with it and uh you know right now if you bought a property and you know even six months ago and you're selling like you're probably out 30 40 grand 50 maybe more 
depends how much you overpaid. So it's uh, it's one of those things. Yeah, people just have to have a plan. They gotta, you know, it's tough. I find too the biggest thing, one of the big things that I think that uh, that, that my clients like is is like you're saying, like in, and even as you're saying all this, it's like sometimes you just need to talk. Talk. You just need to talk. You need someone to hear it. Yeah. And and give their feedback right absolutely you know and um and and, and I, i'm not i'm not saying give a decision i'm saying someone just needs to talk say you gotta put talk the numbers someone, on the board put numbers on the yeah. board run them okay well what if you purchase at this okay well what if it's at this rate okay well what if you do that and 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 those discussions are what gives you confidence yeah, in your decision monumental. absolutely yeah so they're and, big and i'm a visual guy too so like i've know you shared a few um uh, how did you say it? <laughs> Personalized proposals. Personalized proposals. I was going to say yeah. budget, but I stopped myself. And I'm a visual guy, so I like to see the breakdown. I want to see, okay, well, if I buy at this rate at fix or this rate at variable for X term here, maybe three year, maybe five year, maybe whatever, you know, what's it going to cost me? And I mean, you can even plug in property taxes, all the expenses, and really down to the brass tax, like what it's going to cost you, property taxes and all. Yep. Yeah, lawyer fees, taxes, yeah. adjustments that need to be made for the lawyer for your property tax. There's a lot of things that you don't really consider, and and for for that matter, when you when you buy a home, you usually don't meet your lawyer a few days, a week before, right? They and don't you think your down payment's twenty thousand, all of a sudden it's twenty five, right? Like, oh wait, there's five more thousand. It's like a detransfer tax. Where's that going to go? And, yeah. yeah, so there's a lot. There's a lot to it. And what you refer to, what you're referring to with the personalized proposals, is like that's my way of helping you make a more confident decision um, and, and, and just be more at peace with your decision. And that is, I'm, I'm a big proponent on visual as well. So all yeah. my clients get screen recordings of their budgets, how to use them. They can play around with the interest rate. They can play around with their down payment with purchase price. So if they're on viewpoint or they go view a property with you and they're like, Oh, this is for sale for five ten, but you know what if we yeah. offer four ninety? Right. Okay, or what if we're able to get it for five twenty? And it's like, okay, well, what run if those scenarios. Well, run the scenarios. Okay, well, the three year interest rates four nine nine, but the five years four seven four. So, you know, and, and they start running all these scenarios. They can see what their actual monthly carrying cost is going to be, what the actual uh, physical amount of money for the down payment, their closing cost is going to be, and. Instead of just making the emotional decision of the purchase, you then look at the financial side and you have more confidence in actually knowing what you're getting yourself into. And that's 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 big. Absolutely. I mean, I did zero of that when I bought this house. Mm-hmm. Like, And I none. think most people do. Yeah. yeah. We went. Uh, my wife had this financial advisor at TD Bank that she'd worked with like I mean, good for her. Like, I didn't do this either. She had a financial advisor since she was, like, old enough to work. (laughs) That's good. Um, And, you know, didn't shop around. Was just like, she's like, I've used this gal. Let's use her. Cool. All right. We looked at a million houses to the point, like, I was even like, okay, like, this is getting a bit much. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I never did any homework. I thought buying the house here, like, you know, and I mean... I'll be transparent. Like we bought this like almost nine years ago, ten years ago, and like it was like two hundred twelve thousand. Like the house behind me sold for four fifty. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I mean, in the peak of it, I'm sure it's pretty close, like four hundred. Yeah, but like you know, I had no idea. I was just throwing numbers on a spreadsheet that I thought, and you know, just like rough numbers. Like so, to yeah. have somebody basically what I'm getting to in your corner that you can call. I mean, the more and more I've dove into it, it's like you know people kind of shy away I find a little bit from like third party lending 
or uh, is that improper? Is it not third party? Okay, so, well, so yeah, you're still. Yeah, no money comes through me. I should disclose that. Right. I, I never touch any money. You are directly associated. So if I take you to Scotiabank, you right. have a Scotiabank login. You use Scotiabank. You right. go into their thing. I'm merely the person connecting you to the bank. Yeah. So that that can be a misconception as well. Yeah, but you're always available to them too. And, Correct. Yeah. And I mean, can I, always use you know. Give out information and help. All the you time. Know, to, to yeah. that's another big one through too. Those scenarios, trying right? to trying to book an appointment with you know some of the bank can take a week, two weeks. Yeah, because you work with a broker, you usually have their cell number and you can call them, right. text them, email. It's a lot. There's the street. The, the communication is streamlined, you know, considerably. And uh, the big one is when you're selling a property and buying a property. Right, bridging it over or, or like whatever okay, you're doing. well, what if if you say my house is worth four fifty. Well, what if I and I'm using that sale as a down payment? Well, what happens if you sell four thirty? Right. Tell me what that number looks like. No idea. Probably yeah. less. We well, have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How does that affect the down payment of the next one? Which means right. how does it affect my mortgage? Yeah, it's a lot of uh, kind of domino effect. Yeah, you need to be able to see that. So same thing in those spreadsheets. Yeah. Depending on on what you're doing, there's a spread refinance, purchase. You know, you want to yeah. sell, buy. You want to buy an investment property. There's one for for no matter your circumstance, but you need to know. Like, okay, you can plug in. It's like okay, let's change it from four fifty. Worst case, we sell at four twenty. Yeah. Okay, I know that we're gonna have ninety five thousand now taken out. If we do the ninety five thousand dollar down payment okay here's my mortgage versus Absolutely. like the 130 so it's like being able to play like i said playing being able to play around those numbers is huge it's, it's big yeah and, uh, and 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 uh and and when you buy if you're holding long term like yourself most likely your numbers are going to be fine fine right um you only lose if you sell it if you bottom. sell quick yeah so in your situation you're kind of laughing because your house is worth double well you've been here 10 years you weren't here two years Right. So, it's it. Those questions also need to be to be addressed. Like, so, you know, if if you are, you know, here and you're only play, you know, you may you're young and you may move three or four times. Well, you know, fixed rate five year fixed rate probably isn't a good product. And if you go into it and in two years you try and get out and realize, oh, it's going to cost me thirteen grand to get out now. It's right. A big, it's a big problem. That is a problem. Now that kind of leads into the next one, right down to brass tacks. Um, talking about rates for people that are wondering right now you know closing out the year uh you know we've had the uh bank Canada raise interest rates now seven times last one was another 50 bips uh where are we at with rates right now what do we got on the fixed front what do we got on the variable front what's uh what's the latest and greatest there well the first time in a long time should have been a while uh the fixed are now better than the variable. What's driving that? Do you think? Well, Historically, it's never been the case. It's um, we have to understand is that the fixed rates and the variable rates, although a mortgage comes from a bank, where the bank draws that money from are two completely different places. Okay. Um, and the variable rate is based on the overnight lending rate that the Bank of Canada sets, which is what you alluded to with those hikes. So. As the Bank of Canada increases or decreases that rate, it affects your mortgage directly and affects the mortgages that you can get today or tomorrow um, at the lenders. So as that rate goes up or down, so does your mortgage. And obviously, lately, it's been going up, squeezing a lot of people. Squeeze. But also, uh, actually, let's give a shout out to the, the stress test, which the government put in place. 
Because without that, there would be a lot more people in worse places. Because you have to qualify, for those who don't know, you have to qualify for 2% higher than your rate or 5.25. So um, back when people were qualifying at low rates, they had to qualify. When you were getting a 2% rate, you had to qualify 5.25. Wow. So you had to qualify. So they said, okay, if rates go up, we know that you're going to be able to afford it. So now, even if um, you're getting a variable right now and say it's 5.5, you have to qualify at 7.5. So that's where this affordability thing is really getting um, people are, their purchasing power is dropping like every time they raise right. this rate. So you're kind of like a double-edged sword here. They're pushing the rates up. And then although could be beneficial to some people because some people just like to fucking spend money. Excuse my French. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so, yeah, that's a kind of a, I mean, a unique tool to kind of keep you in line with yeah. your it's, actual it's been, ability. It's, it's been great there. and But uh, I think I skipped ahead there. Back to the point there. Whereas the, the fixed rates are based off the bond market. So um, it's based more on the investing side and the and the variable rate is based on more the, the overnight lending. Lending, lending rate. So, the two have different indicators, although um, they are both kind of based on the economy, right, and what's happening. Absolutely. Uh, the, the big driver for the variable rates going up is just the inflation just being so high. Um, now, after this last hike, the Bank of Canada, for the first time since these hikes started, has alluded to slowing down. Um, so depending on the numbers that come out from this month, um, it'll be interesting to see what they do. I wouldn't be surprised to see another hike in the new year, um, but then hopefully a pause and uh, maybe into the spring and the summer we'll see a pause. And, you know, um, who knows, maybe into the fall or into the new year we see some decreases. But the Bank of Canada has come out and also said that it's going to be about 24 months before these really start to take effect and, and rates to come back down. So. Um, we really don't know. I mean, this time last year, the Bank of Canada literally came out and said, if you want to, uh, the rates won't change till 2023. And look what happened. So it's just based on the number, on the economy and, and, and what happens. So. Absolutely. And I think it's, uh, speaking of people with short memories, and uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if we weren't buying houses then, but I have a client base from a past business that I've been going around dropping off cars to, making sure they kind of know I'm still there for them. Uh, although not in that business sphere now in current real estate. Um, and they're a bit of an older demographic that would have bought in like the 80s. And I've been talking to them and uh, six of them mentioned it because it always comes to the race, you know, talking about, you know, real estate up. First thing, talking about rates. Oh, you guys have it so good. Yeah, seriously. They're like, yeah. They're like, yeah. I was like, what do you think about the rates? They're like, we don't feel bad for you. And I was like, excuse me, this is sweet old lady. Uh, she goes, we bought, we've been in this house for 37 years. And he, she said, well, we bought this house in 1983. We were paying 21% interest. Crazy. Another gal said she moved, it was a little bit later. Uh, maybe later 80s, early 90s, 18%. My uncle, same thing. He bought, built a house, 19.5%. Isn't that crazy? Holy they smoke. are all still here, and they're still in their homes. Yeah. So, you know, it could get worse. But, <laughs> I mean, let's be real, 5% isn't that bad. So yeah, I mean, now we're doing, I mean, the fixed are actually sub five right now. So right. You, can, you can get um, like the short term three years uh, this week. There was some um, uh, 499s and the five years is like a 474. Um, and yeah, when you look at historically the 474, I mean, that's not 
that's not a bad rate. I think um, we were three something when we, we were got we were sub twos. So like we were right. in the ones. Yeah, and there would be a time when when yeah when what the what the the example you just shared. It'll be funny in 20 years. It was like, and I don't know if they'll ever go back down that low. I mean, Toronto was giving 0.99 interest rates. Wow. Back in the in the in the middle of it, yeah, the thick of it, and uh, with uh, HSBC. Um, so it was. Um, I just I, rates won't go back to that. They'll go down. But the threes and fours, they're not awful rates. They're, you know, especially threes. Threes are good rates. And, and But when you get up to the high fives and in the sixes, it, it does start to get, you know, unaffordable because the housing prices are also inflated. Yeah, inflated. And, and our prices here haven't really dropped that drastically no. compared to the rest of the country. And they're projected to still go up this year. So that paired with the high interest rates creates a tough atmosphere for buyers absolutely especially, especially first, first time. times yeah. yeah that's where it's hitting the the most yeah i think is people that really want it in that are like fuck we can't get but the government in. still has the first time home buyers incentive program right now the nova scotia right tell us about that yeah so it's a zero interest loan for the five percent of your home up to a five hundred thousand dollar purchase price so that program there can really help people get out of renting because with rents being high it's tough to save up a down payment of twenty or thirty thousand dollars while making rent payments, just living in general with the costs going up. So what the government's done is they've 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 introduced this zero um, percent interest loan repayable over ten years. Basically, you get that loan and and uh, budget a, you know whatever however much you take, whether it's a couple hundred dollars a month, and pay that back, and you're still it's a way to get you into property. And you can know. kind of just like budget that into that's just part of your mortgage. Yep. You know? so Yep, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. It goes a different way, but you budget that that monthly amount too. And just um, to, some clarification: uh, you own your house fully at the end of that program when you repay that money. Yep. So that's a loan. That's not like the. So yeah, there are programs that the government will match your down payment, and they kind of have a stake in your. So if you're doing five percent, if you're first time home buyer, if you're putting five percent down, the government will match your five percent to lower your interest rate. They will. You kind of, you know, you're getting into bed with them, and they want that five percent back when you sell. Right. That five percent on the purchase price is current value. Yeah. So and and it's not as cut and dry as that. There is. So if your house doubles, you basically don't need to pay five percent of the double amount. There is a cap. There's a prorated kind of. But it is. but yeah, the, the Nova Scotia first-time home buyer, uh, the 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 five percent down payment that's your interest. That is, you you own the hundred percent. That's all you. Yeah. You pay that back over ten years, just like if you were taking an RSP out of the bank to purchase, and you pay it back over fifteen years. It'd be very similar, but um, it's zero percent interest, so it's a fantastic, fantastic way to uh, get into a property if you're renting. Clients out in the wings there. <laughs> You heard it here first. Let's get at it in the spring. So anyway, man, I don't want to take up all your afternoon. I know we're kind of leading into the holidays here. Uh, I think that's a good point to kind of wrap things up with. Um, I appreciate you coming on. If people want to find where you're at, contact you. Where's the best place to get you at? Instagram, Facebook? Yeah, Instagram us. at Andrew Hutchinson Mortgages. Um, you can email me at Andrew Hutchinson Mortgages. Um, and uh, yeah, you can uh, yeah, Google me and you can find me. Um, and happy to uh, happy to answer any questions anyone has. Or if, um, if you're looking to buy a house and get a better idea of your numbers, feel free to reach out. I'd be happy to help out.
Absolutely. Well, I'm sure it won't be the last time we have you on. We'll get you on here to get any real estate relevant lending topics, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, enjoy the holidays. Appreciate you coming on. And uh, we'll post some links to your stuff in the bottom. Awesome. Thanks for All having right. me. Thanks, man. Appreciate it.